Hello, everyone, and welcome to Brands Unbridled, a podcast brought to you by Storyhorse. We are a Chicago-based branding house with the strategic know-how and creative muscle to build brands that not only make an impact, they last. You can learn more about us at storyhorsebranding.com. So Brands Unbridled is our platform to ask big questions, hear from big brands, and get a pulse on what's new and what's next in the industry. Just to introduce myself, I'm Sarah Splitoff, Director of Strategy and Creative with Storyhorse. So let's get into it. Today we have with us the mastermind behind one of the fastest growing brands in the athleisure world, Zach Goldstein, founder and CEO of Public Rec. Now, if you haven't heard of Public Rec, definitely check them out. Recently ranked as one of the top 10 most popular activewear brands of 2020 by USA Today, they design activewear that's comfortable, yes, but more importantly, tailored. They're known for their premium joggers that are sold by inseam and waist size, which is definitely a very rare find in activewear. Their pieces are specifically designed to be worn for any occasion from the gym to happy hour to, you guessed it, even a business meeting. So whether you're tall or short, staying in or stepping out or really anywhere in between, you'll love them. And as a six foot tall lady that lives in athleisure, I can assure you that is something I definitely appreciate. So we'll be talking with Zach about how he was able to carve out market share in the highly competitive active wear market and how with much of the country's jeans and dresswear collecting dust, their business has been impacted and one could say supercharged by the pandemic. Welcome, Zach. So hopefully that intro did you justice. Uh, is there anything you'd like to add? No, no, that was great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Cool. So obviously, I uh, want to hear all about Public Rec today. Uh, just to kind of get us started, want to learn more about just the inception of uh, the company. So as I understand it, you've struggled over the years to find active wear pants with an inseam that fit, and in the past have had to get pretty creative to find a solution. Um, I'll let you tell that story, but I will just say that as someone with the same problem, I can definitely relate to those moments of desperation, and I have endless embarrassing anecdotes on that, but I will spare you that and just say that I can absolutely see how that might be a consumer challenge that you'd want to solve. So fast forward then to 2015, when you started Public Rec, this industry was absolutely exploding, very fierce competition, and I'm sure it was an intimidating time to kind of throw your hat in the ring. So tell us more about that experience, what inspired you to start Public Rec, and then kind of how you were able to differentiate your product from these sort of really established competitors. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I guess it, it kind of started for me of being shorter and, and the and sweatpants I was wearing not fitting me well. Uh, one in particular that fit me the best happened to be my mom's. Um, I wore that pair of pants during college and that struck me as like, you know, why do these pants fit me better than others? Why am I always grabbing these pants over others? Sure. Um, and so that that started to resonate. And then it was like, you know, why aren't why aren't these type of pants offered in a waist and a length size like, you know, men's dress pants or jeans? Um mm -hmm. And so that was really the beginning of the idea. Um, and yeah, for me, it was like no one was really owning the men's space. Um, Lululemon was doing it, but then there were there were some brands who were kind of more in the startup uh, phase. And um, it felt like there was space at least to be a menswear brand um, and, and kind of explore that product offering. It's definitely kind of a head scratcher. Like, why has no one thought of this? And why is it so hard to find pants sold by Inseam? Like, you'd think that's kind of the obvious thing. And I'm, I'm glad that you discovered that um, before a lot of others did. Um, so how were you able to kind of like communicate that value prop and really differentiate yourself when you're, you know, going against big brands like Lululemon? Was there any kind of like um, 
any strategy that you took at the outset to kind of differentiate yourself? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, being kind of men's only, I think, helped us. Um, mm-hmm. That that was coming like a unique perspective compared to how brands existed beforehand. Um, it, at least at the time, Lululemon seemed to be more uh, female-focused. Uh, customer base mm-hmm. was dominated by women, and so it just seemed like they were less focused on the menswear space. Sure. Um, that's, of course, evolved for them over time. Um, and then it was like, you know, one of the taglines we like to use, which I think has resonated with our customer, is um, is more comfortable than jeans, more stylish than sweatpants. And like sitting in between that offering mm-hmm. where like, you know, you could still wear them outside of the house and they're comfortable but still look good. Um, that felt like a unique space. Um, so we tried to own that as well yeah. outside of the fit, but just like, you know, the versatility and being able to wear them indoors, outdoors, and not have to worry about where you were going and still look good. Um, yeah, that, that seemed to resonate. So that was something uh, we tried to communicate to our customers. Cool. Yeah, I love that. Um, so you pretty much ran public rec for the first three and a half years on your own. Um, I'm sure you were wearing a lot of hats and probably had a lot of fires to put out at that time. Were there any kind of fun stories from that time that you look back on now and laugh? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good question. One, one in particular that stands out is... So in the beginning, uh, I was living in New York. Uh, I was ended up living like a block away from where our factory was. Mm-hmm. And this was our first factory. Uh, and I still remember, this was, I think, November 2015, one of the fir- maybe the first purchase order that we finished. So our fulfillment center is in Brooklyn. The pants are being made in New York City, in Manhattan. And we had to f- figure out a way to get the pants to the fulfillment center. Mm-hmm. And so basically, I called like, an uber an uber xl and we stuff all the boxes in the uber xl and i'm there's like nowhere for me to sit but i need to go to the fulfillment center too so i'm like laying on the ground the car is the the uber xl is like overstuffed with all the boxes and it was just like (laughs) i i couldn't imagine uh you know obviously that's not how big brands do it and i was like i can't believe (laughs) this is how you know the pants are going to the fulfillment center and um yeah. yeah, the logistics strategy, Uber XL. It's a good start. It's one <laughs> yeah. of those moments where it's like, you know what? We can only go up from here. Got to start somewhere. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> it was like, we, I didn't have, I, I needed the, the factory to help me get the boxes in the car. And we're in New York City where it's like hard to get an Uber XL. Then it's like they can't park on the street because there's so much traffic. I just remember being so stressed <laughs> getting it to the fulfillment center. You did it. Good job. <laughs> um so your background before starting Public Rec is in finance. So you definitely have kind of proved that you're a savvy business leader. You have that great eye for quality and kind of the technical side of developing the product. But not being a traditional marketer at heart, how did you figure out your branding, kind of what to call it, how to put out a compelling story that your audience could relate to? And did you do that on your own? Did you have help? How did you kind of go about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of it was... So one, I think I was fortunate that I felt like I was the customer and I was solving my own problem. So it was like, you know, what resonates with me? What would I want to see? What do I think looks good? So that was part of it. But then it's always like, you know, this is my first time doing this. I don't know if that's actually going to resonate with other people. Um, So it was like a lot of either getting prototypes or getting photos or putting things on the site and and trying to get as much feedback as I could from friends, family, from customers. Um, I did customer uh, support for the first two and a half years. So it was like, I was hearing from customers on the fit, on, on what they were seeing on the site, on the problems. Um, 
So that helped me kind of dial things in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's just like a constant feedback loop of, you know, put something out that we think is good and, you know, continue to dial that in as we get feedback from it. Um, so it was a lot of just like, you know, taking it one step at a time, doing it the best I thought I could, and then seeing how it was, uh, how, how customers responded to it. Cool. Yeah. That's, uh, I feel like probably a lot to handle is like just being kind of on the front lines with all of that customer service, but must've been such a, an enlightening thing to do to just really hear, understand the voice of the customer and really always have that kind of like echoing in your brain. Even now when you're not running it, you still kind of know kind of what that was like. So I feel like that was probably valuable. Yeah. Especially like, it's like when, when customers are talking to you, I don't think they appreciate that. Like you're the person who created the product. So Mm -hmm. it's like, it's it's great to get the unfiltered feedback, but it's like, oh my gosh, this is killing me to hear that like they don't like this part of it or yeah. you know, a thread came undone or something like that. They like don't know that they're talking to the founder. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. it's good to go undercover. Um <laughs> yeah. so wanted to ask you about the founding. Uh little known fact, you guys got your start on Kickstarter. So for those that are listening that maybe don't know how that works, kind of what would that what was that experience like for you? Uh how did it work or maybe not work for public rec and kind of why did you decide to go that route? Yeah. Um overall it was it was a good experience for the brand. Um in the beginning I I kind of there were a few reasons I chose to do it. One was it helped fund our first PO. Um, so I didn't raise capital initially, so that kind of helped us, uh, finance the first, um, purchase order. Uh, it was also kind of a nice way to get feedback pretty quickly, um, and to feel like we were definitively launching as opposed to putting it on a website, uh, and maybe, you know, not having the same attention, especially like trying to get press at that time. Press was more at the time for me, we're more familiar with, you know, a Kickstarter doing well as opposed to, you know, here's a random brand who just launched online. They have no idea, you know, what type of activity it's getting. At least on Kickstarter, you can see if it's successful at the time, Mm -hmm. which kind of gets people to write. Um, So, yeah, so I spent about six months getting ready for the Kickstarter. Started by just like researching other Kickstarters that I thought were successful, um, looking at how they did their videos and spent a lot of time on the video um, and putting together the page. Uh, And yeah, and and then like, I remember, uh, hitting go on, like having the six months of preparation up to the Kickstarter and the morning of the Kickstarter before hitting go, really having no idea how it was going to do. Um, and like throughout the campaign, you still like every day is just a new day of, you know, pounding the pavement, trying to get people to pay attention to it, trying to figure out ways to grow, uh, to grow recognition for the campaign. Um, mm-hmm. But it ended up being successful for us. We ended up raising $180,000. We sold 2,000 pairs of pants. Uh, oh. And it really served as like uh, a good group of initial customers that then became kind of brand evangelists over time and, you know, helped us, you know, get started. Well, that's uh, something I hadn't thought of as like an approach. It's so clever, though, it, you know, now obviously having seen the success from it, just getting that sort of like almost free publicity and getting those like early adopters and getting just so much like credibility and traction through the platform. So I feel like that was such a smart idea. Um, Okay, one other question. So uh, since the founding of Public Rec about five and a half years ago, you guys have obviously seen exponential growth, huge accomplishment. Definitely congrats to you. Uh, I know your revenue numbers have grown quite significantly over the years. Um, What do you attribute your brand's success to? How how did you do that? And how also has it been impacted during these kind of crazy COVID times? Yeah, um, I think 
Um, I, I think we were fortunate that the message that we were telling in, in the beginning felt like it was resonating pretty quickly. Um, so for the first few years, it was a lot of just trying to fortunately keep up with demand. Um, so it's a good problem to have. We had a pro yeah, yeah. Um, so we were fortunate there that the product was resonating. People liked it. They wanted more. They started talking about it. All that I think really helped. Um, particularly, you know, COVID in the beginning, uh, it was it was a pretty significant impact to the business. We we saw a fall off. Uh, we then saw a little bit of a bounce back. Um, I think in general how we've performed. I think you know, very fortunate that the business has survived COVID. Um, you know, very fortunate we didn't have a lot of retail or wholesale exposure. Uh, most of our stuff was direct to consumer online, so customers could still come get it through our website. Our fulfillment center was still operating, so all fortunate uh, from that aspect. Um, I think we did suffer an impact from uh, people just spending less on apparel, going out less, caring just less about what they're wearing. Um, we were fortunate that like, if people did care about what they were wearing, our garments were pretty relevant given their comfort. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I, th I think, you know, overall, we, we probably were lower on revenue this year than we may have otherwise uh, would have been, but uh, still saw growth, a, a decent amount of growth year over year and, and feel fortunate for that. Good. Cool. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned for more on Public Rec's growth, some big retail partnerships ahead, and more on the latest from Public Rec, their new women's wear line. Brands Unbridled is a production of StoryHorse, a Chicago-based branding house with the strategic know-how and creative muscle to build brands that not only make an impact, they last. You can visit our website at storyhorsebranding.com to learn more. Interested in telling your story? Reach out at hello at storyhorsebranding.com. Okay. So welcome back, uh, Zach. I wanted to follow up on just kind of what you commented on earlier. Uh, you've been able to, from the beginning, really build this base of sort of brand loyalists. Um, and you've obviously been kind of the brand champion from the beginning. Um, how have you been able to kind of continue to appeal to that base, but build on it over time and obviously bring new people into the fold, but kind of maintain those loyalists? Um, and then also internally expand a larger team um, and kind of onboard them, but still maintain that uh, brand promise would just love to hear more on kind of your strategy for communicating that growth, um, but kind of keeping that initial vision intact. Uh, yeah. So I think as far as like continuing to appeal to our brand evangelists uh, or the people who supported us early on for Kickstarter, um, we've, I think for maybe a year and a half, two years after Kickstarter continued to use Kickstarter as a platform. Like once you have your backers, you can communicate through Kickstarter and send updates and so we would, we would send updates through Kickstarter, kind of, you know, we launched this product, it's available on the website now, not through Kickstarter, but just continue to use people who had, who were, who experienced the brand for the first time through Kickstarter and, and use that platform, but then kind of transition them towards purchasing on the website and, and, and keeping them informed on exciting things that are happening within the company. Um, and then, you know, over time, as the company grew, we just transition from just Kickstarter and, and then Kickstarter and website to mainly just website and email. Um, mm -hmm. And like, whenever we think about how we want to communicate with our customers overall through email, um, we're trying to be like as transparent as possible. Um, I'll send an overview at the end of each year, kind of talking about how the year went, just like, you know, stuff that may feel intimate or personal, which is, you know, none of it's really sugarcoated. It's how I actually felt about how the year went. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of hope that like being open and transparent um, has felt has has allowed people to feel like they're a part of a part of grow, growing the brand together. Yeah, having that honest conversation with your stakeholders, and I feel like people appreciate that and can sense that authenticity and that transparency and kind of like can see through anyone that's, you know, calculated in their approach. So I feel like that's like a nice way to kind of report back on progress. Yeah. How have you been able to kind of onboard your team now that you're, you said 12, you have 12 full-time employees now, like how have you been able to kind of communicate that vision and help them to, to take it forward? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think something first, like whenever we're making big decisions, we're usually most of the team or everyone's involved. Um, we have a team meeting every Monday morning that goes for a couple hours and everyone talks about what they've got going on depending on what department they're in. Um, and so everyone's pretty keyed into what's happening within the company and some of the strategic decisions that, that are being made. Um, and then like for every big decision, I'm kind of sharing either, you know, what the thinking is and taking people's opinions and, you know, we're coming through a decision together. And then once that decision is made, we're kind of sharing the outcome together. We're all on Slack, uh, and I'm sure most companies are. But um, yeah, I would say, at least for now, and it may be to a fault uh, as we grow. It's just like we're maybe over inclusive on meetings, on getting people's feedback, on you know all of us kind of working together. And it's worked because we've been a small team. But yeah, I'm sure as we grow, we'll have to think through you know who who are the right people for whatever the project is at hand. Yeah. And I feel like building that consensus not only obviously makes the end result better, but makes your team feel like they have ownership over the brand and, you know, have ownership over the outcomes and that sort of thing. Yeah. So speaking of growth, it just so happens Public Rec recently launched a women's wear line. I'm personally very stoked about this. And in keeping with the spirit of 2020, we'll likely be wearing my new joggers for much of 2021 and beyond. Um, But your brand was established with a single product. uh, So kind of going from that Kickstarter to now where you're at now with the new women's wear line, you've got tops and bottoms, like a variety of different products and verticals. How you were, how are you able to kind of keep that original concept and vision intact? And how does that kind of like translate to these different product lines? Um, what, what is kind of maintaining as that single thread with public rec? Yeah. Um, so we launched women's yesterday and uh, what the way at least we're kind of thinking about it is our hero product or um one of, I guess, you know, the product that we think is, is most differentiated is, is probably the joggers. Um, we did the sizing differently uh, than I think most women are able to buy their joggers in today, which is you can buy the our joggers in a waist and inseam sizing, just like our men's pants. Um, as we were kind of doing more research about women's, we learned that, at least this was my understanding, uh, that, you know, the women's wear market was, and, and what women had, you know, been offered up until until now was even more skewed than uh, what men's had. Like men's have jeans and dress pants that are, are waist and inseam, but it was my understanding that women didn't really have the option for any for most pairs of pants to buy waist and inseam, and especially not leisure pants or joggers. Um, and so we we have the same formatting, the same sizing for our women's like we're doing for men's. You can you you, you buy your waist sizing basically how women I think typically buy their denim waist sizing, and then you can also pick your inseam. Um, and, and that was important to us to kind of, you know, offer the best experience for our, our women customers. But um, we thought it was offering something that wasn't out there today in terms of, you know, a better fitting pair of pants that you don't need to worry about getting hemmed or you don't need to worry about where they're going to fall on your leg um, based on what size you ordered. Yeah. 
Love that. Um, for those listening, I'm vigorously nodding my head because this has been a, a huge hole in the market. So I'm personally very excited about having the inseam option, but um, that makes sense and is obviously a great kind of extension of that initial um, vision. So uh, one question I want to ask, though, so you guys are obviously kind of a digital first brand. You have always been, you know, primarily e-commerce, um, really focusing on just the kind of online approach and as it stands, don't have a brick and mortar store. Um, so would love if you could just talk a little bit more about the prospects for a brick and mortar. And then kind of in the meantime, obviously, uh, the digital approach is not holding you back by any means. You guys have seen a lot of success. So would love to hear just about how you were able to connect with your consumers and really kind of get them to engage with your brand. You guys have a great Instagram following and kind of really just a really strong online community. So love to hear kind of how you went about that. Yeah. Um, we, uh, so we did a store last year. Um, we launched it in New York. It was our first store. It, it was it was meant to be permanent. Um, we had a good, I'd say, four or five months with it, uh, and then COVID hit, unfortunately, and we we closed the store. We kept it closed, and then we made the decision to walk away from the store. Um, Huge bummer. Yeah, uh, it, it was yeah, it was a bummer for sure. The store seemed to be resonating. It was picking up traction. It had a couple the first two months were great it launched over the holidays um and i think it'll be a part of our growth strategy in the future um one thing it's just you know the amount of work that goes into doing stores right and, and we had a partner helping us throughout all this um mm -hmm. it's just it's just a significant lift versus you know the revenue you may see from one store versus the revenue you see from your online store um and so that's something that i think i learned and and more cognizant of now of just like when we start doing stores, um, you know, it, it's just you have to be ready for the undertaking of, you know, what resources, uh, you know, if it makes sense for the brand, I guess. Um, but mm -hmm. in general, I think it'll be a part of our of our um, growth strategy over time. Uh, and we'll be kind of reassessing throughout 2021 um, as we feel, you know, as we take a pulse on the environment. Um, and, and then as far as like, you know, keeping you know, building the brand digitally. In the beginning, it was just, uh, the thought was, you know, what can we do that scales, especially if I'm building the brand by myself? Like, where should I be focusing my efforts? You know, what type of resources do I have? Um, and it was, you know, it, it kind of always made sense just to keep building the online channel. It felt like, you know, there was so much more growth and opportunity and um, just trying to stay focused on that channel. Um, and so that was really how the business was grown and kind of, I think, you know, what's allowed us to have a stronger online presence. Um, and we've been fortunate that like, you know, we've definitely scaled our marketing budget online and we've seen that resonate as we've scaled. Um, and so we've kind of benefited from social media and online marketing. And um, uh, yeah, that, that's all resonated and we've scaled that over time as we've seen the return. Cool. It just starts with having that, that resonating message, like you mentioned, that I think people just kind of gravitate towards. So. Um, very cool. So uh, one thing I want to ask about, you have some new partnerships on the way with uh, very established retailers like Nordstrom and Stitch Fix, which are huge collaborations. So congrats on that. Uh, really awesome opportunity. Tell us more about what that process was like, just acquiring those partnerships and kind of working out how you would go to market together and, and how they would kind of position your product on your behalf. Yeah. Um, Stitch Fix has been, has been a good partner for us uh, for a few years. And it, fortunately, I think they actually saw us on Kickstarter, um, and they reached out. Um, so that was, you know, you know, fortuitous and, 
that partnership has really grown to a meaningful size over the years. Um, so so that, that's been a great partnership for us. Nordstrom is, is a new one for us. We launched online with them a couple months ago. We're launching uh, in 15 stores in a couple of weeks. We're excited for that. Um, that's something that's been in the works for over a year now. Um, Nordstrom for me was always, you know, the, the, the end all be all in terms of like a retail partner. Um, Mm -hmm. so it was someone always in the back of my mind of like, you know, it'd be great to be in Nordstrom, you know, how do we make that happen? And, and, um, it got to a point where the brand was kind of big enough to support it in terms of like, you know, we wouldn't have to place a new inventory purchase for them. Um, if they decided either that they wanted to scale up or walk away from us, either way, we'd be fine as a brand. Mm. Um, so we, we kind of got to the size and reached out and, um, yeah, there was a lot of conversations back and forth. We flew out to the headquarters, we presented to them. Um, we were kind of getting ready to go live with them. Uh, and then COVID hit. So kind of everything put on pause. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're, we're looking forward to kicking off that partnership in stores now. Very cool. And how does that start out? Do they kind of do like a little kind of test market or do they start with one product and then give you the option to expand or how did you kind of arrange that? Yeah, um, they've been, I think, so they've been, we've been online with them for a few months and they've been testing, uh, I think we're four or five products. uh, And now uh, as we go into stores with them, so we're starting with 15 stores. I think they have a little over a hundred and we're starting, they're increasing the kind of the product offering online. They're going to carry, I think, five to seven products in stores. I think our, most of our catalog online. Um, so, yeah, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, growing with them. I'm, they're testing things and getting more comfortable with the brand. Um, yeah, and we'll see. Hopefully, you know, they're carrying more things in stores over time and, and increasing the stores in which we're in. Cool. Awesome. So now. Uh, we love to close out the podcast with a fun one. We at Story Horse naturally love brand taglines and personal taglines too. So just as an example, uh, if any of you follow Charlie Barron's, he is the comedian and some might say hero of Wisconsin. Uh, then you may have heard his tagline, keep her moving, which is one of my go-to expressions. Um, but just kind of putting you on the spot, if you were to pick a personal tagline, what would it be? Um, yeah, something I think about a lot. And I read this I think it might have been a Walter Payton tagline. I may be incorrect in saying that, uh, but I've thought it was, so that makes it cooler to me. Um, cool. Is uh, whatever it takes uh, is how I think about things. Like whatever the problem is, um, you know, whatever it takes to get it done. Um, yeah, that's kind of a lot of how I've thought about building public rec. It's a lot about, you know, how I've just, you know, tried to work hard my entire life and Although I haven't had that tagline my entire life, so maybe I shouldn't say that. But throughout public rec, that's how I've thought a lot about. Love that. I can just, I can just picture you in the back of the Uber XL, just repeating to yourself whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. (laughs) Very cool. Okay, so that wraps up our latest episode of Brands Unbridled. I want to thank you again for joining us, Zach, and thanks to everyone for listening. Hopefully, while wearing something comfortable yet tailored. Till next time. Brands Unbridled is a production of StoryHorse, a Chicago-based branding house with the strategic know-how and creative muscle to build brands that not only make an impact, they last. You can visit our website at storyhorsebranding.com to learn more. Interested in telling your story? Reach out at hello at storyhorsebranding.com.